Amen. Thank Thank, thanks so much, Rachel. Um, well, we really appreciate the... Um, is it right if I just move this slightly? Yeah. I'm not going to um, upset anything. I did it without spilling. <laughs> um, thank you so much, uh, Rachel. And thank you so much for having us here this morning. I think it's through... Um, do you know Jonathan Woodhouse? I think it's through Jonathan Woodhouse that, um, that we are here this morning. And I um, understand that you've been doing a series on the fruits of the Spirit and that we're kind of wrapping that up this morning, looking at uh, self-control. Uh, and so to do that, what we thought we'd do is we'd go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul really gets into this idea of discipline and self-discipline and, and what it takes for us to um, grow in us the kind of character and habits for a lifetime in Christian service. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, we'll get there in just a second. Um, but before we do, just to give a bit of the context and a bit of the background to what is going on in Corinthians at that time. Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are trying hard to follow Christ in a very pagan and secular context. Uh, Corinth housed the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and there's a lot of sexual immorality that's associated with worship at the temple of Aphrodite. So, you know, some of the stuff that Paul's, Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians uh, directly confronts some of the behavior that's been going on in the city and sometimes that has also crept into the church as well. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. The, um, we've heard of the Olympic Games, but back in ancient Greece, um, there were four key kind of um, games or athletic games that were held um, the Olympics at, at Olympia, obviously, every four years, but also um, the Isthmian Games that took place just outside Corinth every other year. And it's uh, likely that Paul would have been in Corinth at some point while the Isthmian Games were taking place. And he draws on that. We'll see in a few moments. He's drawing on the imagery of the athlete training hard for the race and the boxer, you know, kind of um, training to go into the boxing ring. Uh, as he, he's drawing on those things, um, metaphors and images that would have been, would have been uh, really familiar to the church in Corinth. And so in, um, if we just kind of back up a little bit before we get to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what we see in chapter 8 is Paul is addressing this um, key issue, this controversial issue of of what do we do about food offered to idols? Because some of the Corinthians were um, eating food offered to idols, and presumably they'd ask Paul, you know, what should we do about this? Some of us are doing this. Some of us feel we shouldn't be doing that. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, basically, you are free in Christ. Amen? You are free in Christ. You can eat, you know, food offered to idols is nothing, right? But, he says, for the sake of your weaker brothers and sisters... If it causes them to stumble or causes them to sin, you shouldn't eat food offered to idols, right? So you have this freedom, but don't abuse it, right? That, that's his argument in chapter 8. You have the, you have the right. In, in Christ, there is, there is freedom to, to, to know that this food offered to idols is just nothing, but don't abuse your freedom. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul goes through um, this, these whole list of things saying, um, I have given up my rights. He starts off, didn't I have the right, Paul says, to take a, a believing wife along with Peter and, and many of the other apostles? Didn't I have that right? And then he says, didn't I have the right to expect that 
you, the Corinthian church, would support me financially. He uses this um, quotation from the Old Testament. You know, he says, the Bible says, um, you, you shouldn't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. What's that got to do with anything? Right? Well, well you know, back in, um, in the Old Testament times, when you'd have an ox and it would be trampling the grain, it would be working hard, um, crushing it so that it could be milled for flour, the ox shouldn't be muzzled because it would, um, uh, the, the idea was that the ox should be allowed to eat from the work that it's, he's doing, right? And then Paul says, but I'm not really talking about oxes and grain and muzzling, right? What we're really talking about here is that Paul has the right to expect that among those he's working with, he should expect a, a contribution, Right? He should expect the church to support him. And that, that's, it's right that churches support their workers. But again, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, well, we did not make use of these rights. We, we've, we've got this freedom in Christ. But we didn't make use of that right. Just, just look at a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 if you've got your Bibles with you. Verse 12, Paul says, If others share this rightful claim on you, i.e. to expect a, to expect a, a contribution for their um, for their upkeep. If others had shared this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We endure anything, says Paul, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He says, I've got this right. You know, you should be supporting me, Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. I've got this right, but I'm not going to take it so that nothing might hinder the gospel of Christ. Look what he says a little bit further down in verse uh, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made my servant, myself a servant to all. You see, Paul says, this is how I'm using my freedom to serve, to pour out my life for the sake of the gospel. I've got this right to you know, expect that you should support me. I've got this right to take a wife I want to, but I'm not using my rights. I'm laying down my rights for the sake of the gospel. This is all for the sake of the gospel. He says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. You see, this is all picking up what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, trying to teach the Corinthian church the essence of what it means to be free in Christ. This doesn't now mean that they should be able to do whatever they want to do. It should mean that they should use their freedom for the sake of service to others. They should use their freedom for the sake of the gospel. And then we come to these verses at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which we're going to focus on uh, this morning to do with self-control, self-discipline. Paul says this in verses 24 to 27. By the way, I'm reading from the ESV, the extra special version. If you've got a different version, I'm really sorry about that. Um, hopefully it will be fairly similar in your version. Okay, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? He's, he's drawing on this picture that would be so familiar to the Corinthian Christians. Uh, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. A number of years ago, um, I was watching the London Marathon, or at least the build-up to the London Marathon, and um, they, 
the TV cameras were going around interviewing the different runners on the start line, and they interviewed one lady, who, um, I think a minor celebrity, who had not done any training whatsoever for the London Marathon and expected to arrive at the start line of the London Marathon and was just like, I'm just going to go for it. And of course, what do you think happened? You know, crashed out, could not do it. It did not happen. What, what would happen if we get to the start line of these big races and we haven't done any, train, any training? And you can imagine someone in that kind of situation saying, but I'm going to try really hard. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I am committed to this. I'm enthusiastic about this. But the reality is that trying really hard is not going to get you across the finish line of, of a race of that sort of caliber. The reality is that you've got to train for it. You, see, you might have all the enthusiasm or zeal in the world, but if you've not done the right training, it's not going to count. You're not going to cross that trip finish line. Dallas Willard, I don't know anybody come across Dallas Willard, has written some fantastic books about spiritual disciplines, most notably the spirit of the disciplines. And um, he says that as Christians, we should train, not try. That we should train and not try. Because I think for so many of us in our Christian lives, the way we approach being Christ-like, the way we approach, you know, we know that we should grow in Christ-likeness. We know that that's God's plan for us, that we should be obedient, that our behavior should change from glory to glory. We know those things. And so we approach it like the, like the runner coming to the beginning of the um, marathon, saying, I'm going to try really hard. We're enthusiastic. We've, we've got enthusiasm. We've got zeal, but we haven't done any training. Dallas Willard encourages us that as Christians, it's not about trying really hard. It's about training. It's about training. Paul tells us in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. I think so often we struggle in the Christian life and we feel defeat in the Christian life because what we're doing is we're trying really hard rather than training for life with Christ. You ever watch those um, TV shows where they show uh, like a um, marine boot camp? And, um, or if you've ever seen a film and um, the drill instructor is there and he's yelling at the new recruits, drop down and give me 20. You've seen those kind of programs? And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but why in the Marines or the Special Forces do they need to do push-ups? Like, on the battlefield, they are never going to have to do push-ups, right? That, that's, that's not the case. But, but of course, the reality is that by training really hard in practice, they are prepared physically and mentally for whatever they might face on the battlefield. They are ready for whatever they may feel on, and face on the battlefield. They are training their body for whatever they're going to um, encounter. So many Christians, I think, live defeated because what they're trying to do is, I've got so much enthusiasm, I'm going to be more like Jesus today. And then, you know, maybe it works for a few hours, maybe even a few days. But then they slip and fall and they feel defeated in their Christian life. Imagine this scenario. Imagine that I really struggle, struggle as a gossiping person. Imagine that when I, whenever I hear just a goosey... A, you see a juicy piece of gossip, a juicy piece of gossip. I just can't help to pass it on. 
oh, you'll never go and guess what Sandra's done today. You know, that, that kind of thing. Oh, sorry, is there anyone called Sandra? No, okay, <laughs> sorry. And, and I just can't help myself because, you know, I f- maybe I feel insecure as a person, whatever that's driving it. And, and, and I know it's wrong, and I know that God is challenging me about this gossiping behavior. But when I just hear something, oh, it's just so good, I've just got to share it. You know, and I might say one day, okay, you know what? I know that God is challenging me about this. I'm going to try really hard today. I'm going to try. And I'm trying, I'm trying really hard, and I'm, I'm putting aside those thoughts of gossip, and I'm ignoring it. But then I just hear something so good. Oh, Jason's gone and have an extra Kit Kat, and he's broken his diet. You never guess what. Or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I just can't help myself. That's trying really hard to live a godly life. What if instead of that, we said, how can I train? How can I train my spirit? Like the Marines doing their push-ups for the things that they will face later on the battlefield. What if I said, okay, I'm going to train by spending each, each week, I'm going to spend an hour in solitude. And I'm going to start to train my soul that it's not about what others think of me, it's about what God thinks of me. And I'm going to start to train my soul to, to give up those um, you know, nasty habits that I've been doing. I'm going to start to embrace solitude and silence. Or, or maybe I'm going to do some fasting. I'm going, to, I'm going to grow the spiritual muscle of abstinence in me so that when the time of temptation comes, I'm not going to then pass on that gossip, but I'm stronger in Christ to w- resist it, to hold back. So there's an element of training in our discipleship, in self-control. Self-control is developed through training, not just through trying really hard. It's not just a matter of the willpower. It's about the daily habits put into practice in our lives. And so there's a training that's involved here. But there's also, I think, what Paul is teaching us here in 1 Corinthians 9. There's also a focus and an emphasis on the prize. Paul says here, we don't do this, this training. We don't do this in order to obtain a perishable wealth, a, a perishable wreath. Right? Back then, the, the winners of the uh, races were given like a garland made of pine leaves. You've seen the kind of things on TV or on ancient films and things like this. They were given uh, a, a, a crown of, of leaves that would uh, eventually go brown and have to be thrown in the bin. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we are training for a crown of righteousness, for an eternal crown of righteousness. This is the prize. It is eternal. There's a consistent theme in Scripture to endure hardship, to endure training, to endure difficulties. Why? Because there is a crown of righteousness. To set our sights on the eternal, not just the temporary things that we're going through. And Paul is encouraging us to do that here, to discipline our bodies, not for the temporary applause of other people, not for the standing on the podium or the wreath that will eventually fade, but for the eternal, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the crown of righteousness. He's encouraging us to look for, uh, uh, to endure this training, to endure this hardship for the sake of eternity, to invest in the, in, the, uh, in, 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 in the eternal things. Because there is a prize. In Christ Jesus, there's a prize. And even Jesus did this. Even Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12 t- tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, in other words, for the eternal prize that was set before him, He endured. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He endured for the joy set before him. I don't know if any of you remember, it seems like such a long time ago, London 2012, when we hosted the Olympics. Uh, But um, 
My mum and dad were games makers then, weren't you? Uh, they were kind of marshals now, so go and talk to them about that later. They had a great time. Anyway, um, one of my favorite stories from London 2012 was um, a guy called Stuart Stokes. Anybody heard of him? Such a minor story. He actually came last in his heat in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. He's a British athlete and uh, came last. But he was one of my favorite stories because he, Stuart Stokes, uh, was, and I'm assuming is, still, a full-time teacher. And in his spare time, he ran and trained and practiced and, uh, you know, did all these things in order to represent his country. And what a privilege to, you know, at the opening ceremonies of London 2012 to get to wear your nation's tracksuit and fly the flag and, you know, to, to carry those things around. And me and a, a friend were watching this as we, we, they did a special on his story on the TV. And um, we were watching this and um, watching his heat and watching his races. And um, you could see on Twitter at the same time, loads of his students, come on, sir, you can do this. And it just felt like such one of those kind of feel-good stories that everybody could get behind. But one of the things that struck me about that was in the special that the documentary did about his uh, life and his kind of uh, going in for the Olympics in London 2012, they detailed his routine. So here's a guy who week in, week out, not just week in, week out, year in, year out. Right? He was 35 in London 2012, so he'd been doing this, for, for t this kind of routine for 10, 15 years. Getting up every day at 4.30 a.m. Going to bed at 7.45 p.m. every day so that his body would be rested and refreshed for the training that he was going to do the following morning. Every single day. Just imagine what kind of discipline that takes. Just imagine what kind of resolve that takes because there's a prize. And so he would have to forego parties. He would have to miss um, family events. He would have to give up pizza, right? Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong necessarily with eating pizza. There's nothing particularly wrong necessarily with going to family events and parties. Those things can be really great. But what he has done, he has intentionally chosen to refrain from legitimate pleasures because he's been gripped by a higher purpose and a higher cause. He's set his sights on the, that goal of representing his country. And so because of that, he's denied himself legitimate pleasures, legitimate joys in pursuit of a greater prize. One of the realities of sports, elite sports particularly, but not just elite sports, is that the race is not primarily won on the day. The race is won in the daily pursuit of self-discipline, of making those decisions, in the daily decisions of week in, week out, month in, month out. When there's no crowds, when there's no podium, when there's no crown of making that choice, when no one's watching, of making that choice to continue to pursue discipline for the sake of something better. Helen and I, um, I've used this analogy before, sorry, Helen. Um, we, uh, a, a few weeks ago, we ran a half marathon, and uh, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And um, in training, um, I, I'm nowhere near as good athletically as Helen is, but in, in, in training, we would um, run, and we'd do these long runs um, on the beach and in the New Forest, 
Um, we would run sprints up and down the zigzags going down to the beach. If any of you have been down to Bournemouth Beach. And it was horrible. It was really horrible. And I can remember, you know, on a, particular, uh, a particularly brutal long run that we were getting to mile 9 or 10 and I was just absolutely exhausted. And we'd still got another mile or so to go before the end. And I was just, I said to Helen, I'm done. I'm ready to be done. And she just said, this is for the last three miles. This is for the last three miles. This training that we're doing right now for so the last three miles. And on the race day, I realized just how true that was because the first mile, we were okay. You know, I was feeling good, feeling strong. Second mile, feeling fine. Fifth mile, by the, by the, by the tenth mile, I was, I was done and I was ready to, to call it quits. We kept going and that's, that's when you've got to dig deep and that's, that's when you've got to keep going and, and you keep going. It's for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross for those moments when it's most hardest that we do this training, the day in, the day out, the denial of legitimate pleasures. As Paul says, we give up our freedom. There's nothing wrong with, with all these freedoms that we have. But we've been gripped by grace, by a higher purpose. Just as we start to bring this down to land, let me just look with you a couple of verses in, in Philippians, because I just think Paul is such a great example of this. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Been gripped by a higher purpose. Been taken hold of by grace so that other things just, just fade away in comparison now. So he's running for something else now. He's disciplining himself for something else. He's got self-control because he's been gripped by a higher purpose. And he goes on a little bit later on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I keep going because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But listen to this. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forwards towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? He says, I press on for the sake of knowing Christ. I continue to discipline myself, not because of legalism, not because, you know, if I read my Bible and pray enough, somehow I will, I, you know, that, that's not the goal. The goal is our life in Christ Jesus. The goal is all that he has called us to. The goal is is Christ. He is our example and he is our prize. Should we pray? Father, we thank you for the grace that has been shown to us through Christ Jesus, that though we were sinners, though we were far off, in Christ you have brought us near. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, you have made a way for us to come near. Father, we praise you. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning that as we consider the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, that we would devote our lives to something beyond ourselves. Lord, that you would cause us to see with greater clarity the upward call in Christ Jesus. And Lord, not out of legalism, not out of law, but out of having been gripped by grace, you would... Uh, 
Give us a sense of resolve and self-discipline to train for greater godliness day by day. That we would put into place habits and practices and disciplines into our lives. That would strengthen our spiritual muscle. That whatever we face, that, that when the hardest part of the race comes, we wouldn't stop running. We wouldn't give up. But that we would keep going. That when everything within us wants to say, enough, I'm out. Oh Lord, that in those moments, you would strengthen us by your Spirit to keep going. That on that day, we would, each and every one of us here, well done, good and faithful servant. That you, Lord God, would be glorified in and through our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rachel.